We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, folks. Colin Kelly here from Rotoviz Overtime, a podcast I host along with Sean Siegel. Welcome along to a Rotoviz Radio production. In just a little moment, we'll jump straight into the podcast. Before we do so, I want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% of a Rotoviz NFL pass right now on the rotoviz.com website. It gives you access to all of our content and tools and sets you up perfect for the NFL season. All you have to do is add the code 2020 RV Radio at checkout or by going to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can rate and review on your favorite podcast app. Really do appreciate that. As I mentioned at the start, Road of His Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you haven't already checked it out, be sure to do so after this show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast. What do we do with the 49ers backfield? Can Dallas Goddard be a tight end one in redraft? And will Calvin Ridley score more than 250 points? We're talking all that and more on Roto Viz. Radio. What's up, Roto Welcome back to Roto Radio, brought to you by Bet Online in the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Roto joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. Matt Friedman, what's going on, Matt? How are you? Uh, I'm okay. Just, uh, you know, like our house is on the market, so that's stressful. You know, just trying to sell our house and the realtors and everything. You don't want to hear this. You, this this is not what you wanted to hear. I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Um, You know, I'm actually doing pretty good. Um, Watched Frozen 2 today again for like the third time. Um, with my daughter, but this was the first time that I did not fall asleep. So I feel like I finally got to the bottom of that story. So I'm, I'm doing pretty good. 
That sounds horrible. You're, you're <laughs> <No>. doing horribly. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Um, I would say that I had very good reasons the first two times that I fell asleep during it. And normally I, I do not fall asleep during her movies. Um, mainly because, you know, she's asking like a lot of questions and, and all of that stuff. So I enjoy watching them with her normally. But uh, those other two, t- although I will say like Frozen 2, just not nearly as good as Frozen. Frozen was so much better. I don't know if you have seen Frozen and or Frozen 2. I have not seen Frozen 2. I saw Frozen 1. What do you think of it? I thought it was pretty good. Uh, it, it was a Disney movie. That's what I recall. Uh, that's about it. It so had a song. That's, okay. that's what I remember. <laughs> so is that to say that you don't enjoy Disney movies? Um, I don't know. It's uh, Frozen was okay. okay. Um, uh, what, was, what was the movie that was sort of like uh, Celtic? And there was oh, like a Brave. bear. Brave, Brave with Merida, yeah. yeah. I think I maybe liked Brave a little bit better, but yep. uh, I, I can't claim to be an expert on uh, latter-day Disney movies. <laughs> okay. So you know what's funny? Um, my daughter, one of the things that she's obsessed with and she's been obsessed with now for about a year since she understood the concept of bravery or, you know, as much as like a two-year-old could at the time, was which Disney princess is the most brave? And when we first started talking about it, she kept saying it was Merida. And we were like, why? And she said, because her movie is literally called Brave. And well, she didn't use the word literally, but we thought that was a pretty good point. But she's come around now to the fact that it's probably Mulan. And on that note, I think that we can, <laughs> we can move along. I did have a really good anecdote, though, that I want to share quickly. I'm not sure what it's an anecdote in relation to, but I think it's funny. Um, so my wife's sister-in-law lives in South Carolina. Um, and, uh, her dad and her stepmom spend, um, currently they're spending a lot of time down in South Carolina and they're going to be going back and forth in the future. But anyways, so he's walking with my nephew, Aiden, who's about six and they're outside in South Carolina and where they are, there's a pretty high snake population and they see something moving that they think might be a snake and Aiden starts going toward it because uh, my father-in-law was like, oh, you see that? Do you think that's a snake, Aiden? And Aiden starts like running toward it. He's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And Aiden said, well, you want to find out if it's a snake, right? And he said, yeah. And Aiden, six-year-old, said, well, there's only one way to find out if it's a snake and that's to touch it. Um, <laughs> Which I yeah. think is just like such a perfect I mean. like summation of how you think when you're six years old. Yeah. Uh smart kid um might die soon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> hate to, exactly. Hate to say that. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. he's lived this long. Yes, it is. All right. So on that note, Matt, this this might be one of the longest non-football intros I think we've ever had. Um, is the NFL season going to happen this year? What do you think? Uh yes. Next question. <laughs> okay. Is there, uh, is there more needed? I mean, I'll just say yes. With my blind optimism, I'll say yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, at this point, though, with everything that we do know about coronavirus and, you know, the implications of that on large groups of people being in places, do you think that this NFL season is going to have some type of delay? Uh, Or at the very least, do you think it's going to look different than what we're used to in terms of how the games are actually conducted? Yeah, I mean, no fans. I think that's pretty much a lock. Um, but I don't think even if there is a massive second wave, and I mean, I think there is a real chance that there will be a second wave. I don't yeah. think it's going to shut down the economy the way that the first wave did. I think people are just going to sort of reach this numb phase where it's like, okay, 
people are going to die, people are going to get sick, and uh, we're just going to continue to go to work and then hope that eventually, uh, you know, people get herd immunity or a, um, a vaccine is discovered, something like that. But I think businesses will be conducted as reasonably as they can be within the context of knowing that uh, it's still going to be hard for people to congregate. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm expecting as well. Um, I do think that a major um, change in what we're used to as far as the NFL season goes is seeming more likely now um, than it did a couple of weeks ago, but we'll see how that goes. Um, So now we can transition into the actual stuff that everybody cares about, and that would be the fantasy football information that you need to win in 2020. I do have a FFPC stat attack for everyone out there today. And this, I have to thank Sam Wallace for. This is out of one of his most recent articles where he was looking at the San Francisco backfield. And this stat is that from week five through 14, Tevin Coleman was the RB10, overall RB10 between weeks five to 14, scored seven touchdowns in that time frame. That's actually a pretty impressive mark, and we will talk about that after I remind everyone that the FFPC is the home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty Best Ball and, of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And, of course, we have the tools at Rotoviz that you need to dominate the leagues in the FFPC. PC. Okay, so that's a pretty impressive stat there for Tevin Coleman. We all know how Raheem Mostert finished the season. They had a pretty similar workload split in 2019. As we look forward to 2020, Matt, do you expect there to be a tandem backfield fairly evenly split between these two? Do you think that maybe one controls a significantly higher percentage of passing situations or rushing situations. Where are you on these two? I think the median. Okay. So a lot of this I think has to do with injury potential and stuff like that. But I think the median has Raheem Mostert leading the backfield for the majority of the year and finishing with around like 1200 yards, something like that. Um, but I think there's a really wide range of outcomes here. So even though I think Raheem Mostert, you know, like in a median season is going to be the lead guy, um, I just wouldn't draft him as if that's going to be the case because Tevin Coleman could overtake him. Jerick McKinnon could come back. I mean, Jeffrey Wilson could maybe even still more, uh, more carries than people would anticipate. So I'm um I'm imagining that Raheem Mostert leads the backfield, but that he gets uh less than fifty percent of the carries in the backfield, and that uh Tevin Coleman is someone who could have some uh some spike weeks. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. So the interesting thing about it is we have Raheem Mostert at an ADP of running back twenty-four. So it does look like at least in these sharper drafts, um People aren't overreacting to what we saw from Mostert down the stretch. Um, But you can get Coleman for nearly double the ADP, which obviously makes him significantly cheaper. Um, And it sounds like you're not really sold 
with what you said about the other backs on this team potentially mixing their way in, that Mostert is necessarily the best talent on the team that they have in their backfield. I mean, I don't, I don't think. Or does Mostert it not even is, matter? I don't know if it really even matters. Right. It's just like it's hard to anticipate anything in a Shanahan backfield. And then Mostert is probably the best player in that backfield, which is why I do have him right now having the highest share of rushes and out of the backs, the highest share of targets. Um, and on a you know per touch basis, I do have him as the most efficient player in the backfield. But uh, it's still like, I don't know if that matters at all because he could get injured. He's never been a lead back before. I'm just, you know, very uh, tentative in everything that I'm doing with the 49ers backfield. Got it. The final thing I'll ask you about the 49ers backfield is, do you think there's a higher than 10% chance that a running back in San Francisco could get a rushing attempt share higher than 60% in 2020? Oh, man. Um, I think it's like right at that 10% mark. If I had to assign a number. Yeah, to it. because like, say if Jarek McKinnon never comes back, then like all of the carries I have going to him right now have to go to someone. And if Raheem Mostert stays healthy the whole season and then like Tevin Coleman suffers an injury, then I can see how we get there. Got it. All right. So moving along, um, I just want to mention to everybody that I made a bit of a tweak to the range of outcomes app that we have at Rotoviz, which again is the tool that looks at a player's stats from the last two seasons and a couple of their unique attributes and then runs some math, finds players that performed similarly to them in their historical prior two seasons and then gives a match uh, or a list of top 50 matches and then builds a range of outcome for the player in their coming season. Off of that, there's now this year-over-year change graph, which is pretty cool. Because what it lets you do is visualize the increase or decrease that those players' matches saw from their year end to their year end plus one. Um, and that gives you an idea of if it's possible or how likely it is that a player improves in the coming season or how likely it is that they do worse in terms of fantasy points scored in the coming season. So it's a really neat visual to look at. Now, the player that I want to talk about right now, Matt, is Calvin Ridley, who does extremely well when you look at this year-over-year change graph among wide receivers that you would bucket into his ADP and also younger wide receivers in the league. Now, what I was really surprised with, Matt, when I did my projections— I ended up with Calvin Ridley coming out as a borderline wide receiver one. That's what I get when I do the numbers in what feels like the quote unquote most likely outcome. However, I don't know if I really feel like that can even happen. Um, so without us going too close into Calvin Ridley, uh, just give me the percentage of outcomes in which he does finish at that maybe like let's say wide receiver 10 to wide receiver 15 range. Okay, well, uh, a few things, and I think yep. it's worth talking about the uh, the range of outcomes app. Yep. I'd like to yep. to get your uh, your thoughts on that in a little bit, but yep. Calvin Ridley specifically, and I should say, uh, I did something kind of stupid in my projection process where um, last night I accidentally deleted all of my Atlanta projections. 
Oh, um, so I had to redo them this morning. But, yep. uh, you know, like I had an, a sort of baseline from memory of like what where I projected some guys. But Calvin Ridley, um, because there's no Muhammad Sanu and because I don't really have a lot of trust in Russell Gage and because Hayden Hurst, even though I think he's going to play in, you know, obviously that Austin Hooper role, because I don't think he's going to quite get the same share of targets, at least in year one, that Austin Hooper got. And because I don't think Todd Gurley is going to really have the uh, the target share that Devontae Freeman has had in previous seasons, I think it's really possible we see a super concentrated share of targets between Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. And so I have Ridley projected uh, you know, on a per-game basis, not for the season, but per-game yep. for 22% of the targets uh, in Atlanta. And... I mean, it honestly could be higher than that. Right. Um, but, you know, 22% of the targets and just based on what we've seen out of the Falcons in previous seasons, uh, specifically Dirk Cutter's offense, uh, you know, with Atlanta last year, Tampa Bay before that, and then even with Atlanta 2012 to 2014, I'm expecting a fast-paced offense. Um, and their defense isn't good, so I think they're going to have more of a uh, – a throw reliant offense. Uh, and so I'm expecting there to be a lot of opportunities. Like if I think a guy's going to have a 22% target share in an offense that's playing fast and throwing the ball a lot, that could have a lot of value. So, you know, I'm projecting Calvin Ridley for around 1100 yards. And even though I think his touchdown efficiency in his two seasons so far has been a little bit fluky, I think he's still going to score a decent number of touchdowns. So honestly, I have him right, like right under 250 PPR points as a median projection this year. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting that that's what you come out with because my number as it stands now, and I'm going to preface this by saying that like you, I expect this team to be very fast paced and I have them in probably the top spot. I still have three teams left to do, but I think it's likely that the Falcons end up as a top three team in terms of overall plays run very heavy in the passing percentage. And I only give Ridley 20% of the targets, although I do think it could be higher. And I end up with him going for nearly 1300 yards, nine touchdowns coming up to 278 points. Now, when I think about it, without running through the exercise of doing the math, like 250 is the number that I felt like would be more appropriate. So it's interesting that you came up with that. But I think what we're arriving at here is we are both inclined to believe that the situation in Atlanta is one that lends itself to Calvin Ridley having a terrific season. I also think it's important to place the context of this team around there. You know, you're playing with Matt Ryan. This is a team that we've seen produce fantasy points for the wide receiver position in the past. There's also Julio Jones that defenses have to account for. Austin Hooper's gone. Hayden Hurst comes in. I have trouble slating, though I do expect him to take on more of an Austin Hooper role. For uh, I, I have trouble slating Hayden Hurst for more than 12 or 13% of the targets. So that gets back to the fact that Ridley's going to have to be heavily involved. Yeah, I and I said just under 250. To be specific, it's 249.2. That's what I'm projecting in PPR points for Ridley this year uh, with him playing 15 games. Um, yeah. You know, and he, he could play 16. Maybe he gets injured, in which case, obviously, he falls well short. But the question I want to ask you about the range of outcomes app 
yes. and specifically about kind of the methodology that goes into it. Because if I look at the 2020 projections for Calvin Ridley yep. and looking specifically at the players who are comparable to Ridley, yep. um, I don't see many guys who actually are physically comparable to Ridley and like maybe at the wide receiver position that's actually not that important yeah I would kind of like to hear what you have to say about it but I look in like Michael Thomas Mike Evans Chris Godwin Julio Jones DeAndre Hopkins Devontae Adams Kenny Galladay I'm like looking at those guys I'm like no those are not like guys to whom I should compare Calvin Ridley how is it that you end up having a comp group of those guys with Wait, say those Ridley. say those games again, Matt. Say those names again that you're seeing. Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio. Okay, Jones. that's those are the those are the projections for all of those players. Those are their specific projections. That makes much more sense. Yes, you want matching okay, so players or matches performance. Okay. Right. Okay, that makes much more sense. Right now, so, I sound like an idiot. No, that's okay. But see, so. Um, here's an interesting thing. And Blair and I actually talked about this a fair amount, um, when I was going through and building this, because one of the things that I was finding was I was actually getting results that worked out better in terms of doing the year end plus one points when I didn't add in physical attributes, but what we were right. fine and it got to focus more on the things that really correlated with the scoring. But the interesting thing was in many cases, we were still getting players that popped out um, in what's felt like a reasonable athletic profile, biophysical profile. So it was almost like there's something in the stats that's gathering with the stats that I'm selecting and when it's right. running through its process, it's almost like it's picking that up. Now, it doesn't work with every player, but commonly you'll find that um, the matches are close enough without actually grouping in that athletic um, profile or, or size or height or anything mm -hmm. like that, that I, I felt like it was okay to actually take that out. Um, okay. Because I think That's that this interesting. is... Right. Go so ahead. this Keep is going. a little bit of a different exercise then if you're building something for prospects, right, I think that it depends what you're doing. So a lot of the prospect models that you might build are to help find similar types of players. Um, and in those cases, you definitely want to bring those in. But I think in something that's purely focused just on getting at fantasy points um, and that is already using players that are in the league and you're gathering the stats that they produce, I think at that point, you don't need to worry about that as much because it's more about finding players that produce similar stats than have similar attributes, if that makes sense. Okay. So uh, Antonio Brown is in this list. Do you guys actually have a projection for him for 2020? Yeah, I do. So this is based upon, obviously, what he would have done in his last game. So you have that Patriots game in there, and then you would have had his his Steelers games. Now... That's something like I don't think that this is an ideal situation to use at all, but um, he's in there in case people wanted to look. So what's your you just want to know what he's projected at? Uh, no, I just saw within the 2020 projections that he's there. Like that yep. was one of the things that was throwing me off was like looking and seeing Antonio Brown in there and thinking like, OK, this is probably like a historical like comp yep. list. Oh, OK. I gotcha. I gotcha. 
Maybe I should add an okay. asterisk in on him. Yeah. Or yeah. no. It's, Although it's, I'm, it's my fault. I'm, I'm, I'm the idiot who is looking at this. Well, I'm also going to go out on a limb here and say that you probably didn't read the accompanying article on, on how to use the app. Uh, that's correct. <laughs> All right. So this was, a, this, was a, this was a good conversation. Then anything else on the uh, Range of Outcomes app? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right. In that event, um, let's take a quick moment for a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, Blue Wire. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. Okay, you know what? I have to bring it back to uh, Calvin Ridley. Sure. Sorry. Okay, so I'm looking at the matches for him with uh, in in plus one. Yes. So I actually now am, am correctly looking at this. And so, yeah, you know what? Because I, I remember looking at this in the outline and uh, then looking and being like, yeah, some of that doesn't make sense. So Calvin Johnson is the top guy if we're looking at the in plus one for the guys who have the best performances uh, in the N plus one year. Wait, so but Calvin you're still Johnson, looking at Calvin Ridley? Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, I see Calvin Ridley matches. I see 2015 Jordan Matthews as his top, then Marcus Colston, then Tyree Kill, then Jeremy. So Macklin. did you, did you go to matching players and then yeah. click one over, go to matches performance? Yep. And then sort by PPR points. Oh, right. But here's the important thing, Matt, right? Where, where, where's, okay, Calvin Johnson. Okay, Calvin Johnson is the highest of the group, but he's also match 46, right? So right, that's right, just right, important right. to note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. I'm with so you. So he's, he's not a very close comp, but the, like, the number two comp is Marquise Colston. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's just something that, like, uh, intuitively, like, I'm like, no, he's not Calvin Johnson. And then, like... So, like, it helps me narrow down his range of outcomes. You know what I mean? I know that might sound horrible, but, like, Julio Jones is number two at 21.9. Number two in terms of, like, the peak range of outcomes. And I'm like, no, he's not Julio Jones. Right. Like, DeAndre Hopkins is 20.7. Kenny Britt, Des Bryant. Like, maybe he's Stephon Diggs. You know, like, Stephon Diggs is 17.8. But, like, I feel like, I don't know. Like, part of me, when I'm looking at this... I just want to cross off like half of the players I see because I feel like it's not like maybe it's it's comparable just in terms of like the numbers that he could hit. But I feel like it's not super comparable just in terms of him as a player. Um, I get what you're saying, um, but how much of that thought just goes back to their physical attributes or their style of play? Or what you perceive it to be. It's a massive part of it. But I would just say, like, whatever you think Calvin Ridley's potential is, like, 
he does not hit the 22.5 that Calvin Johnson hits. He has no chance of hitting that number. Um, yeah, so I'm not necessarily going to disagree with that, which is why what I often stress stress is to hit over to that distribution button, right, and see where most of the matches are falling. So on a player like Calvin Ridley, most of the matches are falling somewhere between like 10 and around maybe 17, which feels a lot right. more appropriate. Whereas if you go over to a player like Michael Thomas, then you're going to see it really shift and you're going to see like all of his matches are over 10 and there's even a decent portion above 20. Yeah, no, I get it. I'm just saying like, I get that Calvin Johnson is like the tail in this as like the wild outcome. And I'm yep. saying like, that's, I don't think that's a realistic wild outcome. Okay, that's fair. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry to, <laughs> to to derail the show and to uh, to poop on your excellent app because it is an excellent app. There's just yes. like a part of me that like if I see because like the physicality does translate into style of play. You know what I mean? Um, like that's like right. that's part of it. Like Calvin Johnson could just run deep. They could just throw it to him, and he could just out jump everybody. Like. Cal- okay. Did I say Calvin Ridley or Calvin Johnson? Calvin Johnson could yep. do that. Like Calvin Ridley, I don't think he has a real path to 22.5 PPR points per game. That, like, that's I would, fair. Yeah. Um. So what if I told you that the app is actually also using the fact that they're both named Calvin and was was adding that in? I think that's fair. Okay. <laughs> that, um, that makes no, sense. Let me ask you this question, Matt, right? Yeah. Let's say um, I'm trying to think of two historical fantasy wide receivers that were really good, but that had very different styles of play. Cause what I'm trying to zone in on here is how much with Ridley, does it really come down to you're talking about these different things that, that Calvin Johnson can do when you're saying, you know, Calvin Johnson on any given play, you know, with the physicality and whatnot can really make something happen. Are you saying that because that physicality and those attributes allow him to score so many points per game and that there's things that Ridley does not have whatever they are that he just can't get to that range that is making you have such an issue with that it's just that it's 20 all right let me rephrase this I think this is the key question is what's bothering you so much that you see Calvin Johnson in there with 22 and a half points or is it just that you know what I mean that they belong to Calvin Johnson or is it just that there's the 22 let and me, a half points let in me there? try to put this differently if it were Antonio Brown who had 22 and a half points per game, yep. then I probably wouldn't have any question with it. Right. <laughs> because and, and I, you don't I view do... Calvin Johnson and Antonio Brown as similar players. Correct. Okay. They, they are incredibly dissimilar. All right. So here's my one pushback on this, right? Um, let's take Devontae Adams. Perfect example here, right? Devontae Adams is a very good receiver, right? Sure. Yes. Devontae Adams, in terms of fantasy, has been a very good receiver, right? Okay, yeah, I'll buy that. Hear me out on this. Hear me out on this. If I said to you, Devontae Adams is going to score 20 points per game, even 22 in 2020, how much of a pushback would you have on that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would have a little bit of a pushback, but like, I would be like, okay, like I can see how he gets there. So this brings me to my point. What did Devonte Adams do in his first couple of seasons? 
he sucked. He absolutely sucked in his first couple of seasons. Right. So Calvin Ridley, and I'm not saying he's going to be, Calvin Ridley could get better, right? What my, my ultimate point here is a lot of these players, before they get to those 22 points, right, they have to work their way up to it. It's very rare that we see these top-level players in their first, you know, two, maybe even three seasons absolutely crush it like that. Or I shouldn't say it's rare, but, you know, not all of them do. So that's why I do think that you don't want to just scratch off all of those things that you see in the range of outcomes because it might be giving a signal that this player has the potential given what they've done to become one of these players, which goes back to, I think it's important to look at that whole distribution, um, especially looking at the distribution graph where you're putting these players into a histogram, you get the sense of what is the most likely. And then you get the sense too of in that high end, what do the possibilities on that look like? So I think if you consider an example like Devonte Adams, it helps you to realize that if you had looked at this back, you know, a I forget how many seasons ago it is now with Devonte Adams. If you'd crossed those off the, you know, the tail to the right in the distribution, you may have been preventing yourself from recognizing that Devonte Adams did have this explosion in his future. Um, okay, now, obviously so we don't realize those a lot, but I think that that's an important thing for us to at least bring into the conversation. Okay. So here's, here's the thing. Um, at the time, Devonte Adams wouldn't have had this in his range of outcomes. Like entering his third year, he wouldn't have had these players as his comps, but like to, to make this even kind of more to the point, like if I type in Devonte Adams yep. and then I look at the guys who have the highest uh, PPR points in his N plus one, it's littered with Antonio Brown at the top. And like, I would just cross out Antonio Brown. Like, I know that sounds weird, but it's like, okay, like sure. He has Antonio Brown point potential but like he's not comparable as a player to Antonio Brown like I would focus more on what the Julio Jones numbers are and the Jordy Nelson and the Des Bryant the Odell Beckham Jr like I would look more at those numbers the DeAndre Hopkins numbers like it's cool that Antonio Brown has like statistically the profile that matches for Devontae Adams now and I know that that's kind of driven by targets and ability to turn targets into yards it's like very statistically driven and that's and fine but i look I at that a key piece on them too but right right so but i look at that i'm like eh I, like i kind of don't care that he matches for antonio brown like show me the guys who look like him and what are their best numbers um all right i get your point i think ultimately what it boils down to is you want a different version of this tool Yes. I mean, like you I, want I get, a different get, version. You want a different version of the tool. However, though, the thing that I will push back on and say what you are looking for mathematically, at least in how I'm trying to do this, right. doesn't work out as well as the way we're doing it. No, and I'm sure that's right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure right. I'm sure that's right. But I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of go back and forth on it. OK, like, but, but so I think with what you want to do, right. I would kind of rearrange the way that the tool is actually running through what it's doing. I would tweak this process a little bit. There's something there. Um, so I get what you're saying. Um, I 
ultimately though, I think it just comes down to that, that <laughs> like, this is the way that I think makes more sense to do it. Um, so I, I think we're at an impasse here, but you know what, Matt, maybe next year, maybe if I'm feeling very, um, uh, industrious, I will create a version that's more, you know what, maybe I will add a toggle where you can adjust it to make it care more about the, about the biophysical profile. So if you were building this and you were bringing in these attributes, right. And you wanted to care to, to, if you wanted the tool to match players that look like, if you want to match Calvin Ridley with players that look like Calvin Ridley, what are the things that you think you tell the tool to look for? Um, okay, I'd be most interested in probably height, weight, and maybe 40 time. But also, like, um, one thing that I think would be important in it would also be, okay, we had the question about style of play and how that might interact with, like, physical profile. Yep. Um, I would want it to screen, if possible based on potentially like average depth of target Mm -hmm. um, because that starts to factor into style of play. Like, is this guy being targeted closer to the line of scrimmage or further away? Uh, And maybe like, is he lining up more in the slot or is he getting his targets on the perimeter of the field? Like if that would be possible, like I think that starts to, that starts to give us some insight into uh, things that on the field are more comparable uh, kind of outside of of the statistics. I hear you. This is, um, I'm trying to think of a simple way to, to summarize my thoughts here, but I'm focusing I, I too guess... much. I'm focusing now too much in my head on how I would actually like build that and like what I would tweak. Um, I'm not saying that there. I think ultimately what I'm struggling with is, um, is that tool actually, I almost feel like looking at that would be more useful for like projecting a player out for the rest of the career maybe. Um, but what I'm struggling is because I've done the math on this, at least for the, in terms of this tool, like I, 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 I want to kind of just take the idea now and kind of use that to set up a different tool, but maybe, um, well, I don't know. You you go with what you were going to say next while I think about that. No, I, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I guess what I'm going to say is ultimately um, the biggest thing that gets me is maybe no one should be compared to Calvin Johnson unless it's players who actually are kind of similar to Calvin Johnson in some way. And I would just suggest that Calvin Ridley is not comparable to Calvin Johnson. Yeah, well, I'm not going to make all. that argument. Um, that, that's all. All right. Seeing as we've now actually derailed the entire episode, and I think that this conversation is going to take up most of most of the whole episode, can I ask you, is there a who are the players that you would be okay getting comped or having Calvin Johnson in their comps? I have to imagine Julio Jones would be one of them. Who are the other guys? Yeah, I would say, um, okay. So it has to be someone who... Uh, and we're thinking just sort of NFL career only, right? Um, I think so. Not, unless you can think of yeah, it. not like thinking of like Marvin who McNutt's was Calvin out. Johnson. <laughs> well, not like who was Calvin Johnson comparable to as a prospect entering the league. Okay, yeah, no, that, I like, don't. I don't think yeah, that serves that really as well. Widens the funnel. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, um, like Vincent Jackson is in there. Yep. I would say Julio Jones is in there. Yeah. Uh, anyone who is, I would say. 
over probably 215 pounds and has like pretty decent speed. Like that's someone who kind of has to be included in it. But then like you also have to take into account like all of the um, all the statistics, which like you put those two things together and that's pretty much a unicorn. OK, like, maybe maybe you can put Des Bryant in there. Yep. You know, but it's it's hard. It would be incredibly hard to come up with okay. a comp group. I think I figured I think I figured out what's going on here, right? I think that with the very good players or players that reach the point where they can get comped with players that are very good, that's when I can see bringing in the the physical attributes because what happens is with the lower level lower level players if you include physical attributes and those get a portion of the weighting that's enough to flip the tool, then you can have players that like really are not good at all getting matched with players that are very good, right? So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, I'm okay with, you know, an Antonio Brown, a Julio Jones, a Calvin Johnson slipping into Calvin Ridley's comps, um, whereas that's controlled for, but you're not going to see... um you know, those guys getting pulled in for like, uh, you know, like Josh Dawson, right? Whereas maybe if you if you right. allow the physical attributes to get it, that's kind of why it clouds the picture. So it's almost like in a perfect world, I would set this up with something in the algorithm that is saying if this player, you know, like a sliding scale, depending on like, you know, the points per game that they've scored or something like that, how much it lets the physical attributes affect it. Yeah, that's the key piece, uh, though. I I think think ultimately that's why it's hard to have a tool like this for the purpose of looking at fantasy points in the coming season include the physical profile too much. Now, I do think that like something like depth of target, um, you know, amount of snaps out of the slot and stuff like that probably could be built in a way that would make more sense. um, So you get more of a stylistic match than uh, the physical attributes. Yeah. Maybe here's another way of thinking about it. Yep. Um, Calvin Johnson, let's look at the the season that it has for him in here. It's So uh, it matched two, him with, um, well, it, 2000, I actually moved it on. I think it, yeah, go ahead. The 2011 season. Yeah, so Calvin that's under Johnson, the matching players tab, right? Uh, yes, it's, okay. it's the uh, N plus one matches performance. Okay, so that would be the season that came subsequent to the, to the two seasons that he was matched with. Right. So yep. it has a match for 2011, which is 26-year-old Calvin Johnson, who had 1,681 yards, uh, led the league in yards with 16 touchdowns. I'm just going to say Calvin Ridley 100% does not have that in his range of outcomes. Like... That's that is not a possibility. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am incredibly wrong. But I would just say like it that's like peak Calvin Johnson, like the outlier within the outlier. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it it seem anyway. So I'll just and it seems like you don't reach the outlier of the outlier unless like a player is actually truly an outlier. And I don't I don't think that Calvin Ridley is. Yeah, I don't think he is either. Um, you know what would be something if Julio just decides he's not going to play this year, and then Calvin Ridley gets like 250 targets and finishes with that. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of pulling for that now. <laughs> yes, that uh, that would be fantastic. Now that you have spent um, an entire yeah. episode and uh, you know, um, 
attacking my app. But no, the important thing here is um, that like there's an, there's another thing though to a subjective process like this. And I'm not, I would never try to say that this is perfect. And I think that, you know, actually maybe pulling out guys like Calvin Johnson is something that does make some level of sense. Um, but the one thing that I do like is because it gives a, or there's an objective process behind it, even as the person that spent so long pulling this together, I can be like, you know what, like if I'm thinking about that, I I can pull that out. Whereas I feel like when we do just pure projections, like, you know, doing the allocations for the teams and, and plotting them out like that, even if you try to remove it in your mind, like it's still part of it. Or like you, you know what I mean? It's still somewhere in your mind where you're where you're taking that as like your opinion, and you feel like it belongs to you. Um, but anyway, so if you're somebody using the app, um, feel free to scratch out some of those players like Matt has has brought up. Matt, do yeah, you have any way, anything else to say? Yeah, sorry, very sorry that I derailed the show, but I think it's actually kind of like a conversation worth having because like. It gets to the heart of like, how do you think about players? And that I think is maybe the most important thing in fantasy. Yeah, that I completely agree with. Uh, you know what the funny thing is here, though? I feel like this may have been one of the best outlines that I put together in a long time. <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't. You don't think so? <laughs> no, no, I'm just I'm just joking. Uh, I mean, we can we can have the final question of uh, Dallas Goddard. And, okay, uh, yeah, let's do that one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because so like, I you think... You want to ask the question? Why don't why don't you just go with it now? See, this is the Matt Friedman show now. Go go for uh, it. Okay, so the question in the in this beautiful outline was: Can Dallas Goddard be a tight end one even with Zacherts playing? And uh, I think the answer is clearly yes, uh, given that I mean Goddard pretty much was a tight end one, uh, especially for the second half of last season last year. Um, I don't think it has much to do with Ertz. I think more of it has to do with the health. Uh, or, you know, potential health of uh, Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. So I think if both of those guys are healthy, it will be harder for Goddard to be a tight end one. But if one of them misses significant time, then I think Goddard will probably uh, once again squeeze in as a low and tight end one. Yeah, I completely agree, which is one of the reasons I brought up the question, because I feel like it's going to be easy for people to pass over Goddard for the tight end in their draft that's hanging out there that is their team's tight end one. But I think we have a special situation in Philadelphia where even though Goddard might not be his team's tight end one, his usage is not anything like what you're going to see from the typical tight end two. Like you said, I think the takeaway there is if you're somebody that's going to wait on tight end and you see Goddard out there, do not dismiss him. Cause I think there's a very likely chance that he finishes inside the top 12 when you have players like Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey who are supposed to be significant players in this wide receiver core at their points in their career. Uh, We are going to talk about Carson Wentz in the second episode this week. Until then, we appreciate you listening. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Bet Online and the FFPC for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.